It is Wednesday morning, February 16th, 2022. So glad that you have joined us. So this week, we have been going through Romans chapter 7, the first six verses, um, which is what we preached on Sunday at Four Oaks. And it's there that Paul uses this illustration of um, divorce and remarriage to give us a picture of the relationship that believers have to the law. And, and his principle was simple. Um, spouses are bound to each other as long as they both shall live. And when one dies, that frees them to remarry. But if they remarry while they're still, if they're divorced and or marry someone else while they're still alive and bound together, then, um, then that person is called an adulterer or an adulteress. And what we said was that Paul here was not trying to give a comprehensive uh, theology of divorce and remarriage. He's just using a very simple example that everyone understands that when you die, the, no, the, long, the law no longer applies to you, whether it's the marital law or the civil law or, or what have you. Now, we said on Sunday that we recognize this raises a whole host of issues, right? For um, how we are to think about divorce and remarriage and it and evokes more questions um, than it answers. And so we said, we'll spend some time this week um, really talking about this particular, this particular issue. And we talked yesterday or this week about um, what Jesus has to say, right? About divorce and remarriage. And we looked at Matthew 19, where, where Jesus says, um, you know, God meant man and woman to be together, that man, no one would separate them, a life or death bond. It's a covenant made in, made, made for life. Um, he said, except in this, in the, in the circumstance of, of sexual immorality, um, or adultery or pornea, sexual sin, and the reason Jesus pinpoints this particular exception to divorce is that it's the ultimate expression of the, of the idea of, co of breaking the covenant. And remember, we said this idea that, that, that while all divorces involve sin, okay, not all divorces are sinful, um, meaning that when sin enters the picture, okay, God allows under circumstances, certain circumstances, divorce in order to protect the innocent spouse, in order to protect the, the injured parties involved. And this is one of those circumstances. Well, it raises the question, okay, are there other ways that the covenant can be broken in, in marriage? Uh, are, there other, are there other cases where divorce might be permissible? And if so, what are they? And then how do we relate that to what Jesus says here in Matthew 19 about sexual immorality? Excuse me. <coughs> okay. Well, there seems to be such a case in 1 Corinthians 7, okay, verses 10 through 16. And I want to read this. And now we're looking at what does Paul say about divorce and remarriage. And let's read the passage and then let's talk about what I think it means and then how it relates to what, what Jesus says. 1 Corinthians 7, beginning at verse 10. To the married, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. The wife should not separate from her husband. <clears throat> but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. And, and here, again, Paul seems to be reiterating the same principle that Jesus talks about in Matthew 19. 
people should not divorce, okay? Um, and if they do, they should remain unmarried or be reconciled to each other. And then, of course, Jesus says, except in the case of sexual morality. Well, Paul seems to introduce a second, a second case here. Verse 12, to the rest I say, not I the Lord, not I, the Lord that if any brother has a wife <coughs> who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. God has called you to peace. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Now, here's the context. There were families in the church in Corinth that had believing, a believing spouse and an unbelieving spouse. And this most likely happened because as the gospel came into Corinth and Paul planted this church, there were not unbelieving families of which one spouse or the other came to know Christ. And now these believers found themselves in marriages with unbelievers. And it seems that some in the church in Corinth were taking this opportunity to say, well, God doesn't want me to be, be unequally yoked uh, with an unbeliever, so I should divorce. And Paul says, no, no, <clears throat> excuse me, don't do that for, for a couple of reasons. Okay, one is that um, your spouse is sanctified by your presence, meaning because you're a Christian witness, because you are a testimony to the gospel of grace, um, this is sanctifying for your for your spouse to be to be under the Christian witness and influence. Second reason is is this is the same case with your children. Okay, that when you tear a family apart, even if there's a believing spouse and an unbelieving spouse, the children will benefit by being in that house with having a, uh, with at least one uh, believing partner versus a situation where they might be with an unbelieving parent. So, so Paul says, stay married. However, what about those circumstances where one spouse, the unbelieving spouse, is not consenting to remain in the marriage? What if they're wanting to leave? Um, how should we treat that? And Paul says, if they are, if they consent to, to staying married, stay married. But if they are leaving the marriage or or intent on divorcing, release them, <clears throat> let them go. And you and yourself, look at verse 15, are not enslaved. And the word is not bound. And what most traditional biblical commentators think this means is that when Paul says you are no longer bound, that he is saying, number one, not only is divorce allowable in those circumstances, um, but also that that person who has been abandoned or the other person has left the marriage, now that person is free to be remarried. That person is no longer bound. And again, obviously there, there is a lot of <clears throat> debate about the nature of that word, but that's been the traditional, <coughs> excuse me, understanding. And, and I concur with that. I think that's the most likely reading of what Paul is saying. Now, then we have to say, well, how does this relate to, to Jesus? Is Paul sort of bringing in a sex, a second exception clause to divorce and remarriage? And I think that's not the way to think about it. I think what's happening is that Jesus is saying, 
divorce is not allowable except when the marriage covenant is broken. And, <clears throat> excuse me, when the marriage covenant is, is broken, the, the ultimate way that the marriage covenant is broken is obviously through sexual immorality. Divorce is permissible at that point. I don't think Jesus is trying to provide a comprehensive list. He's just saying sexual immorality is the ultimate expression of the breaking of the covenant. Um, what Paul is doing, he's speaking to a specific pastoral context that, that continues to orbit off of this principle of, of the keeping of the covenant. And he's saying as long as your unbelieving spouse is wanting to be faithful to their covenant to remain in the marriage, then remain as you are. I think that's simply what he's saying. And there could have been dozens, and in fact there are in real life, of scenarios where we have to ask, is the covenant being broken? All right, um, one way the covenant is broken is by the ultimate way, sexual immorality. Um, another way the marriage covenant is broken is by one spouse refusing to live in covenantal faithfulness, uh, wanting to divorce, leave, that, that, that's a condition. What about other situations? We say, well, what if there's physical abuse in the house? What if there is sexual abuse? Um, what if one spouse is refusing, usually the man, to, to work and provide for the family? Um, or what about um, where there's addictions in the house, where it's making the home an unsafe place for children and otherwise. And there, there could be a million of these things, okay? And we have to ask, what about those things? Well, I think this is where it's important to, to try to, to understand, one, the scriptures don't provide us a point-by-point -point prescription for every possible scenario. That's why we need the body of Christ. That's why we need leadership, pastors and elders to help people walk through these things because they can be complex, but I think that when we think about 21st century, we have to say, well, one spouse, you know, in a first century context, refusing to be married, okay, and wants to leave the marriage, is there really a functional difference in that between a spouse in the 21st century abusing the other spouse sexually or physically or otherwise um, and making a living situation together untenable? Okay, is, is there really any functional difference? And again, the majority of biblical commentators, pastors, would, would say no. The, these are, the, well, I'm, maybe, maybe it should be yes, but, but would basically say there's not a functional difference in these things. Both are, are ways that the covenant is being broken or at least being made untenable at that time that require intervention. Now, we're not talking about here about... Um, well, my spouse um, said something that hurt my feelings. That's emotional abuse. I'm going to go out and divorce them. That, that's not what we're talking about here. What we're talking about here is that sometimes within the context of the home and the marriage, there can arise circumstances which make um, living in a faithful, committed, covenantal relationship impossible. You know, what if, you're, what if your spouse is spending days, even weeks away from the home and you don't know what they are, and they don't, you don't know what they're doing, and they won't tell you. Um, does that mean that, that you are bound in the same way? And again, a lot of this just depends, okay? But I think the way that we want to read the scriptures here is principally under this, under this rubric of saying, 
um, believers should or people should remain in marriage bound to each other um, as long as there's covenantal faithfulness, okay? And Paul is simply taking that principle that Jesus lays down. He's applying it in a specific way. Well, what about Paul when one spouse wants to leave the other? Um, what happens then? And he's saying if they consent to stay, stay. If they don't, let them leave. And you are no longer bound. You can you divorce is allowable. You can be remarried. Um, what if the what if the situation again had been one of of abuse okay that paul was addressing what would he have said then and i think um taking these same principles <clears throat> there we would expect there to be uh, a degree of accountability of discipline of order of structure of leadership of wisdom brought to that situation so as one to bring that unfaithful partner um, back to repentance and to once again establish a relationship where there is covenantal faithfulness. Now, if this sounds complex, <clears throat> it can be because life is messy and relationships are, are messy. And so from a leadership perspective, I think we always want to be vested in helping people to remain married in covenantal faithfulness and doing everything we can to bear, to bring to bear upon that situation. Um, what we're addressing here is what if there is unrepentant behavior that breaks the marital covenant? And again, that is where, um, Paul is not giving us a series of loopholes by which to look to jump out of marriage. He's just giving us some applications for what to do in real time when real situations come up that threaten the breaking of the marital covenant. Now, again, let me just say this, this is my opinion. This is what I believe the scriptures teach, but there are many faithful brothers and sisters who believe that are much more, shall I say, liberal than I am on this position and some that are much more conservative. And so I don't wanna pretend um, to be speaking from on high, um, enunciating a, a position where Christians have a variety degree of opinions, okay? But I think we all can agree that, that, that marriage is a life or death bond. It's made to be preserved. It's a picture of Christ in the church. We want to do everything we can to leverage our resources um, and, and the body of Christ to help people fulfill their ultimate part in marriage. But what happens when there is a breaking of the covenant and someone is refusing to live in covenantal faithfulness? The church needs to come alongside and help to sort and sift these things, okay? So that's the principle. Now, tomorrow, we're going to talk about remarriage. And again, if what we talked about today was a little controversial, remarriage is much more controversial um, in a lot of ways. And it's one that impacts so many of us um, where we live. So be back tomorrow. Uh, but in the meantime, I encourage you to, to, to search these scriptures for yourself, to study, to pray, to lift up, to sift, and, um, and, and go to the word of God as our ultimate authority. All right, let me pray. Lord, we just ask for your grace now, Lord. These passages are hard, they're complex, they can be difficult to apply, which is why we need your grace. But we do know that marriage is given to be a picture of the covenant relationship of Christ and the church. And Lord, we wanna do everything we can to uphold that, to preserve that, and to honor that. Lord, in Jesus' name we pray. 
Amen. Thanks, everybody. See you tomorrow.